0: Father, I just want to thank you for um, just the time that we have together today, Lord. Thank you for the truth of your word and that we can come together and worship you freely and be able to study. Um, As always, we just ask that you would give us wisdom and insight in our teachings. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So everyone have a good week, I hope. Okay, so this morning... I think this morning is probably gonna be our last section on Colts. Because we have, okay, this one's down. okay. so this will be, be our last section on Colts. And this one is a little bit, I'm not gonna say necessarily controversial, but, well, you'll see. So who's our last cultist section? Well, today we're going over Seventh-day Adventism. And a lot of folks are thinking, "Hmm, I'm not necessarily sure Seventh-day Adventists, I'd classify them as a cult. I mean, sure, some of the things are a little off, right? They worship on Saturday, and they really forbid eating of meat. So it's just basically like a vegan that that worships on Saturday. It's what I thought years ago as well, um, but it's actually far more insidious than that with Seventh-day Adventism. It is. Yeah, um, it's fine. I I just needed it to make sure they they don't eat meat. They don't Um, don't also eat certain types of meats, like the heavenly meats, like bacon or you know sausage, biscuits, and gravy (laughs) things of that nature. Yeah, (laughs) so it it hurts my heart in a in a in a very personal way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, so into running into a lovely lady in Montana. She was a fifth-generation Adventist, and God had literally called her out of Adventism. Um, Basically for years, she was searching for God, and she ended up leaving the Adventist Church, and she full-on, she was on the board, um, wrote a resignation letter, a full-on resignation letter, and in her letter, she ended up announcing, God is not here. I need to go find him, and she did, and she left the Adventist Church. Why do we define Seventh-day Adventists as a cult rather than just, you know, a different um, denomination of Christianity? Well, I'm going to refer to Merriam-Webster, and they define a cult in this way, a small religious group that is not part of a larger and more accepted religion and that has beliefs regarded by many people as extreme or dangerous. So, based on this definition, The Seventh-day Adventist Church could be considered a cult while they themselves call themselves Christian. And probably many who attend Adventist churches are, in fact, believers in Christ. It's not the issue. The organization itself professes unbiblical and harmful doctrines outside of mainstream Orthodox Christianity. So where did they start? Where did Seventh-day Adventism come from? Well, they originated in 1836 uh, with William Miller. Anyone familiar with that name? Yeah? Okay. He was a false prophet who claimed to know that the second coming of Christ would happen in 1843. Well, we're still here, right? So obviously that didn't happen in 1843 when his prediction proved false. Many left that movement, as rightly so, in a period called, quote, the Great Disappointment. Given this man's obvious fraud, we might assume many of his followers, if not all of them, abandoned him quickly since he obviously failed the most biblical test for a prophet. It didn't come true. But as Jesus predicted and Peter repeated in Matthew 24:11, quote, "...many false prophets will arise and will mislead many." Second Peter, 2 Peter 2.1, Peter said, "...but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves." So, these circumstances, being a false prophet, clearly a false prophet, should have put an end to the movement. didn't. Well, why not? Well, Adventism continued. After his death, Miller's followers took to calling themselves Adventists, referring to their anticipation of the second appearing of Christ, which of course didn't happen in 1843. In response to Miller's false prediction, they contrived an explanation for Jesus's failure to appear in 1843. Now, this is where it starts to get, not starts, this is where it becomes extremely dangerous. um, in it's Divergence away from Orthodox Christianity. So they say that Jesus was unable to return because he was engaged in something called the investigative judgment. So, what does the investigative judgment mean? Well, it's a process of examining all who dwell on the earth to determine who has repented sufficiently to receive the benefit of his atonement. Only after his investigation was complete would Jesus return to the earth, Adventists claimed. Okay, let's kind of unpack that a little bit. So, the Christ of the Bible, does he know who is and is not saved? Yes. Is it a surprise to Christ when somebody comes to the Lord? No. Here's one for you. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God, right? I mean, Jesus doesn't have an aha moment. That doesn't happen. But during the investigative judgment, right, Jesus was busy doing homework, he had an assignment, and he wasn't able to return to earth in 1843 because he was looking through the book and he said, hey, Mike Stroback, up, he made it. Good for him. I was rooting for him. right? So he has to go through this list to figure out who's saved and who isn't saved. And how do they become saved? Well, it's a matter of fact of their own um, confession of their sins all throughout the day continuously throughout the day and make sure before you go to bed at night that you figure out anything that you may have missed during that day and confess that too just in case you were to die in your sleep. You have got to constantly confess every single thing to make sure that you're in Jesus's book that he doesn't know about until he opens it up and figures out whether or not you are saved. So not only is this whole idea of this investigative judgment unsupported by scripture It is completely contrary to scripture. First, Jesus is omniscient. What does that mean? It means he knows everything. There isn't anything that Christ doesn't know. He always knows the state of every human heart in all history at every moment, and he doesn't need any time to accomplish such a work. See John chapter 2 verse 25. Secondly, the Bible says that the repentance that leads to salvation is a gift from God. It is not a work of man. So we read in several places, such as Acts 11:17. 17, quote, therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Verse 18, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads back to life. Second Corinthians 7, 9. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Verse 10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, (coughs) leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See, the work of bringing repentance unto salvation is one that is granted us by the will of God, right? This is not an act of man. I have never seen a dead person do anything of his own accord. How does God teach the heart of men before repentance? We're completely spiritually dead, right? It's nonsensical to suggest that Jesus is just kind of tearing around while he inspects hearts on earth to learn who has sufficiently repented. Jesus doesn't need to undertake such an expansion um, since he himself is the author and finisher of our faith. So it's odd to think that he has to inspect who has the faith, including granting the repentance as he chooses. Christ is not delaying because he's investigating hearts. In fact, Christ isn't delaying at all, 2 Peter 3.9. The Bible says plainly that the specific timing of the Christ's return will always be unknowable by every human being because the timing of the return is dependent upon who? The Father. It's completely dependent upon the Father's will. Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will will be just like the days of Noah. When the time appointed by the Father arrives, Jesus will return, and not a moment sooner or later. So William Miller's prediction of a return in 1843 was nothing more than a false claim by a false prophet, pure and simple. And the Adventist invention of the doctrine of investigative judgment was an attempt to cover up Miller's error with still even more lies, and it's become tragic. Consequently, the Adventist core doctrine of investigative judgment, upon which the church was founded, how they get their very name, is a false teaching, it leads to a false gospel since it implies works requirement to be saved. If men must do sufficient repentance in order to obtain Christ's atonement, then men would be required to accomplish a work to be saved, right? So in meeting with this lady in Montana, her biggest qualm with all of this with the investigative judgment, and she was saying, okay, it's completely upon our repentance, right? We have to repent enough. We have to make sure that we're constantly doing it. We're constantly atoning for our sins. Then what was the point of Christ? Why did he even have to come? It doesn't make any sense. If I'm the one constantly sitting here doing the repentance, what did Christ do for me? And that was a huge stumbling block for her. She ended up asking one of the uh, higher elders in her church, then how do you get saved? How does somebody get saved? Well, later, the Adventist church recognized another so-called prophet. You guys are more familiar with this one, Ellen G. White. She claimed to receive visions and who the church believes spoke for God, despite the Bible's teaching that no new revelation will come, right? Under the influence of these visions, White and others in the church invented new unbiblical concepts of life after death, including the notion that the dead enter a period of, quote, soul sleep where they know nothing. They also taught that hell does not exist. There is no hell. And that the wicked merely cease to exist at the end of time. Each of these beliefs contradicts clear teaching of scripture. So that whole, that hell doesn't exist, is another heresy by another name. Um, It's called annihilationism. That basically the soul just ends after that point. There's no eternal punishment. Again, you have to ask, then what was the point of Christ? There's, there's no rhyme or reason for Jesus at that point. Perhaps the Adventists are best known for their distorted view of the Bible's teaching on Sabbath. This is where it really comes down to, to them vehemently arguing and defending the Adventist faith. The Bible teaches that faith in Christ is what? It's the fulfillment of our Sabbath rest, right? It's not another work Yet Adventists maintain that Christians must return to observing a literal Sabbath day rest on Saturday, which is the Sabbath day for Jews under the law of Moses. So the second part of the church's name, Seventh Day, is also rooted in a false teaching. They promote unbiblical and legalistic requirements for their followers, including abstaining from pork, um, certain other restrictions found in the Levitical law given to Israel. All these practices are unnecessary for the New Testament believer and they are very harmful to our Christian liberty, the whole idea of grace, which Paul calls our prize in Colossians. I'll read that to you now. It's chapter 2, verses 16 uh, through 23. Paul says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why... As if you were living in the world, you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. That's directly from Paul.
1: What chapter, what they have?
0: 16 to oh, that's Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, yeah, uh, ESV. The Seventh-day Adventist teachings concerning living under the law of Moses are an attempt to reinstitute selectively, right, some of the law, not all of it, a lifestyle as part of their works-based gospel, despite the Bible's clear teaching that what? The New Testament believer is not bound to keep the law of Moses. It was completed in Christ. There's, there's really no reason to do that. So, think about this in living out your, your everyday life. Okay, if you're trying to fulfill all the law and commandments, the law of Moses or the Abrahamic uh, covenant or the Davidic covenant, or keep going, right? How, how can you even? I, I just can't. How can you even function throughout your daily life without this? This dichotomy of just being so fearful whether or not you're going to hell. Because remember, you don't know if you're saved. Christ in the Adventist doesn't know if you're saved. Nobody knows if you're saved. That's horrible. I mean, to what point are you effective for the kingdom of God at that point? If you have no hope in your salvation, no confidence in your salvation, your Lord isn't even confident in your salvation. So, let's go over some distinctive Adventist beliefs. Christ's atonement did not end at the cross in Seventh-day Adventism. In 1844, Jesus finally moved into the most holy place in heaven and began what we were talking about, this investigative judgment. Each person's name comes under divine judgment, beginning with the earth's first humans and ending with the living. Now, when a person's name comes under review, his eternal fate is then sealed. After that time... He may not repent. What? Exactly. Until that time, he has no eternal security because God has not yet judged him to see if he has repented of all of his sins and been forgiven. It's kind of like, you know, hey, I already signed the check. I can't make out another one. You don't have a chance to repent or not. Wow. It's from, let me see if I can pull up the quote. Uh, It's from... Where, oh, thank you. <laughs> I need to repeat the question for the recording. The, the question was, where did they get this idea? Well, it's from Ellen G. White. I'm gonna see if I can pull up the direct quote so I don't massacre it here. And she was saying that you are not sure of being saved. Okay. Let's see if we can pull it up. Here we go. Each one of you may know for yourself that you have a living Savior, that he is your helper and your God. You need not stand where you say, I do not know whether I am saved. So they taught this idea that you just can't know it. You have no idea. It's completely dependent upon your acts of repentance and you need to make sure that you get it right and that you get it good enough and that you do enough repentance and you don't forget any sins at all
1: church all over
0: again so the question was isn't that the catholic church all over again yes it's very very similar right it's extremely similar um and it's and it's a complete atrocity because like i said it leads to this eternal insecurity where you have no idea what's happening to you you're worshiping a god that has no idea what's happening to you
1: a lot of uh White's writings were plagiarized from other authors.
0: So the, the comment brought up was a lot of Ellen G. White's writings were plagiarized from other offer, authors. That is 100% correct. Yes, and that has been proven. Basically, you know, she, she didn't really admit to the plagiarism but kind of said, you know, anything that was good uh, was the ones that were plagiarized. Anything that was bad, well, you know, it came from different, different sources. She also said, quote, that no one should ever say, I am saved.
1: So what is the pull to this? What is keeping people in this religion?
0: So the question was, what is the pull to this? What's, what's keeping people in this religion? My guess, since I have never been involved in Adventism, is we always long for something that makes us feel good, um, that we are doing something um, it, it makes us seem very, very religious, right? I mean, heck, you know, in, in full, um, full view, even when I've gone on missions trips, so what's my heart motive? Is it to just mainly to serve, or is it to make me feel better that I'm doing something to prove my faith? It's making me feel better that I'm doing something to prove my faith. Let's be honest, folks. That's me, Right? And, and I think that's what the pull is with Adventism or any other works-based faith. Because now you have something to be proud of, because I did it, right? I mean, think about Satan's five tenets in Isaiah. You know, I will ascend. I will be like the Most High, right? You, you want to have this idea that the works come from you. This idea that you had absolutely nothing to do with your salvation, It's actually a hard pill to swallow, and it's weird to me. It it kind of is now, after going through this, to think that, to realize that there is nothing good in me, and for some reason, I am regenerated by the grace of Christ, and there's nothing good in me. But a lot of folks have issues with that. Yeah?
1: Okay, so repentance is really important, and it is crucial that we repent. So, it, is it they don't feel like they're forgiven for their repentance, or they feel they have to ask?
0: So, so the question was um, repentance is definitely important. It's a tenet of the true gospel. You must repent. So, do they not feel like as if they're forgiven after they repent? Yeah, Margaret? Well, I Seventh
1: friends. We, we were among Seventh Adventists. My, my husband went to school with Seventh Right, band-ups. and Loma Linda. And Loma Linda, and then his residency was with Seventh Adventists also. One of my best friends was SDA. Every day she had, she thought she was not saved. Every morning when she woke up, she had to prove her salvation. She didn't know if she was oh, saved. So she thought she lost it she, after her? They, they don't know. They don't know if they're saved, so they have to regain, they have to do more works, they have to do more things. She. It was a very depressing um, religion from my perspective. and. And she said that she was offer me offer opportunities to, to do some of her work. She'd say, if you don't, do you know what you're going to do today? Do you have some things that you can do? You know, I can share some of my ideas with you. It was this whole thing of needing to do more works because they needed to do stuff to, to be better, to, mm-hmm. to earn things. Um, they they don't have the assurance of salvation in their religion.
0: Right. So
1: it's it's not just repent, but it's... You've got to earn it. You've got to do things to keep in good standing, and yeah. hope it's enough. It's kind of like the Islamic faith where you're going to have to measure well, up instead mm-hmm.
0: of grace. Right, Lucy, you had a comment.
1: Uh, just the ones I've been around. It's like you cannot have a conversation with, them with an SDO about the bringing up the Sabbath. It's like it's such. It's like the main thing in their lives. You have to keep it, and if it. If you do it, if you do it, you do it. And
0: right. So I'm glad you brought up the Sabbath. So that's the next thing. That the seventh day um, Sabbath is the seal of God. Some say now it's the sign of the seal. So in Adventism, all who are alive at the time of Christ's return will be keeping the Sabbath if they are to be saved. So on the converse, they actually say Sunday keeping us right here right now is a mark of the beast. No joke. We are marked with the beast right now because we are worshiping on Sunday. Plain and simple. So... What's that, Bonnie? Anything
1: to keep them from the truth.
0: Anything to keep them from the truth. Absolutely. So they also claim that the Antichrist is the papacy, meaning the, the Catholic Church. Do I believe the Catholic Church has issues? Yes. Am I going to be so bold as to say the Antichrist is the Catholic Church? No, because I, he hasn't revealed himself. I don't know where guys come from. <laughs> you know. So I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not going to end up saying that. But they say before Christ returns, there will be an international Sunday law. Those who refuse to keep Sunday but keep Sabbath instead are those who will be saved. Are, are you getting the idea that... Just this Sabbath-keeping is the entire tenet of how you can be saved. Those who choose to keep Sunday will be lost, and the last test of loyalty is the Sabbath, not Jesus. The Seventh-day Adventist church is God's remnant church. Okay, in our time together with cults, have you noticed a theme? Every cult claims that they are what? The remnant of the true church. Everyone else has gone astray, but we are the remnant. We're the ones left over. Adventists have replaced Israel as God's chosen people, replacement theology. The Jewish nation will not figure again in eschatology. Okay? They had their chance. They they had their chance. Three people here are in our home group, including my bride. What have we learned in Revelation with the Jewish people figuring again in eschatology? They're gonna be there. They're gonna be there. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty doggone important. But they're all about. Yep. All about- Next point. Yeah. Yeah, so my bride brought up, for those listening online, seven-day Adventism, they are all about end times. I mean, you have any conversation with an SDA, it's all about eschatology or fulfillment of prophecy, all of that, okay? So, in their view, Satan is the scapegoat which carried Israel's sin into the desert on the Day of Atonement. I can't, I, I'm with you, Bonnie, I can't find anywhere in Scripture that even comes close to hinting at that. Now, the other point that you'll notice is, in direct similarity with another cult we've covered in SDA, Jesus is Michael the Archangel, right? Who else believes that? Jehovah's Witnesses, right? They, they try to explain this belief by saying Michael the Archangel is another name for Jesus, yet they maintain that the references to Michael in the Bible are also references to Jesus. People experience soul sleep when they die, so that means they have no eternal spirit. Rather, the spirit that returns to God is their literal breath. They're getting this idea in Genesis when God said, "God breathed into Adam the breath of life." In the Greek, if you're looking at the Septuagint Greek word, they're pneumos, right, which actually means breath. The body goes to the ground; the breath itself goes to God. They're non-existent until the second coming. The resurrection is a sort of a recreation of the person out of the memory of God, the memory of the same God that has no idea who saved until he's looking at this list. Yeah, that God. Because of their lack of understanding of the nature of man, Adventists do not have a policy against abortion. They don't. Their statement allows for women to choose whether or not to have one. Now to be fair, they're not pro-abortion, but they're not vehemently um, trying to defend the sanctity of life either. Also because of their misunderstanding of the nature of the human soul, they don't have a clear doctrine of the nature of Christ. And this is a huge point where it gets very, very dicey. They cannot agree about whether or not he was born with Mary's sinful genes. They likewise can't agree whether or not Jesus could have sinned himself. They teach that he came to be our example, and since he—how'd he do that? He kept the law perfectly, even with his human inheritance, so can we. Not because he was divine, but because he was human, able to keep the law perfectly. They teach hell is not eternal. There will be a cleansing fire to burn up the old earth and the sinners before the new earth appears, and all the wicked will be annihilated in that fire. The most wicked will burn longer than the least wicked, but Satan's going to burn the longest. But eventually they will all be consumed and destroyed in this this fire. So without getting into annihilationism too much, this one really bothers me because this one is a direct affront to the very nature of who God is and to his holiness. Let me explain. I've had this question a lot, especially when my wife and I would preach at juvie. The question goes something like this. How can an all-loving God send a person to hell to torment and be punished forever after just committing one crime because remember this is coming from a juvie kid right he's locked up and he's saying i'll do my time and i'll be let out i don't understand why god can't can't do that god
1: doesn't, exactly we send ourselves to hell.
0: exactly we send ourselves to hell and here's the idea and it becomes on who you commit the offense against right If I was to go kidnap some random bum on the street, I don't know, I might get five years or so. If I go kidnap President Biden, that's a different story. (laughs) That's a different story, right? Then my sentence is a lot longer than just five years because of who I committed the crime against. Now, let's keep moving that up further. Now, what if I commit a crime against somebody who is an eternal being And they are absolutely perfectly holy and absolutely perfectly righteous. So what does my punishment have to be then? It has to be eternal. It can't end, right? Because of who I committed it against. And that idea, their idea that hell is not eternal is a direct affront to the absolute holiness of God. And it makes him not worth worshipping whatsoever because he's just a better-ish version of me. That's not even close to the God of Scripture. See, in their view, the New Covenant is not really different from the Old Covenant at all. Since God never changes, all the requirements of the Old are eternal. The New covenant's just another way of expressing the Old. We still have to prove to God that we're loyal by keeping His commandments.
1: All that comes from the denial of Jesus.
0: It absolutely does. It comes from the denial of Jesus. See, the promise in Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34 That God would write the law on people's hearts simply means that God would imprint the Ten Commandments on people's hearts. And if they're saved, they'll be keeping each one, including the fourth, which is what? The Sabbath. See, in their view, the Holy Spirit is something for which they pray, not someone they know and experience. They believe that the new birth is baptism, not something that happens when you trust in Christ. The result is that most Adventists do not have a personal testimony. They have no distinctive, this is what God saved me from, and this is how he did it. They don't have that. I'm sure all of you right now can think about your own personal testimony, what God has delivered you from before he called you to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I certainly can. They do not believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, obviously. right? They hold Ellen G. White's teachings even above that of Scripture. They believe it has errors and contradictions in it, which they have to interpret in the same way they have to edit and interpret Ellen White. Some say the Bible's inerrant because God wanted those mistakes and contradictions to be there. Adventists do not have the security of salvation. This is the most tragic part when you're talking with your Adventist friends. Ellen White teaches not to say that you're saved because such a belief can lead to pride and eventual apostasy. What? How is that possible? How is... How is acknowledging a promise from God to lead me to apostasy? He said it, not I. He is the one. John, 1 John, by this you may know that you have eternal life. He was extremely clear on that. See, the church today, the Adventist church today, in May of 2002, at the Adventist General Conf- Conference, their president, Jan Paulson, in an internationally distributed speech affirmed all the distinctive Adventist doctrines, including the necessity of proselytizing other Christians into the full truth and confirming the notion that Adventists give up the possibility of being saved if they leave the church. Now you understand why they are so hesitant to step outside of Adventism. Just
1: like the it's,
0: it's yes, yep, just like the Mormons, just like the Muslims was the comment from Margaret. Yes, once you leave the church, because the church is your tether to salvation, not Christ. They are. The church is changing, many say. So the lady we met in Montana, this is what her, her greatest regret is raising her kids up into Seventh-day Adventism, which they are still in. And when she's trying to share these truths that God has revealed to her, they end up saying what? Oh, it's not the same, Mom. You're just being taught the old ways. They're not teaching that anymore. Yes, they are. They're saying that the church is changing. Not so. They have to affirm the 28 fundamental beliefs when they are baptized into the church. These fundamentals include the statement that Ellen White is, quote, a continuing and authoritative source of truth. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if in the skook, right, where we're baptized here, Ben raises us up out of the water, or Roger, whoever's baptizing us. As soon as we get up, we don't proclaim our new freedom in Christ We proclaim, what, the Apostles' Creed. We proclaim something from Martin Luther. We proclaim a teaching from John Calvin. That's not even close to where our, our hope lies in at all. See, highly effective PR machine. Publicly, they hide their distinctive beliefs in order to be accepted by the Christian community. As a matter of fact, Shandy, do you think I can say since I'm being recorded why Ben isn't on the Council for Lewis County Pastors? Sure? Okay. I got it from Ben's wife, so. <laughs> the reason why Pastor Ben isn't included... So we have we have a council here of Lewis County of pastors, and Ben refuses to sit on that because why? Because they include the Seventh-day Adventist churches in that council as well, as fellow believers. And he and I are of the same agreement that they're not. We're not saying that these are wicked people, but we are saying that these are not Christians. Do you understand the difference? Yes. Okay, good. See... Some Adventist churches have, quote, separate community churches that meet on Sunday and slowly introduce Adventist distinctives with the goal of, what, switching us, Sunday attendees, over to the regular Seventh-day Adventist church. Other Adventist churches do meet on Saturday and they call themselves community churches and never use the name Adventist in their names or advertising. That's sneaky. So what about the demographics that they're appealing to? Most Adventists under 35 do not really know that the church, the church doctrines, will. Honestly, folks, it's the same with us here too, with Protestant Christianity, which is a, which is a travesty. A lot of our young people don't know Orthodox Christianity well, and whose fault is that? Us, the parents. It's ours. We just gotta name it where it is. We failed. They are strongly bound to the Sabbath, but they really don't know why. They believe that they have to keep the Sabbath as a sign that they love Jesus. Not, they will say, in order to be saved. They're not going to say that yet. But many will say that they do not believe Ellen White, but they do not know how she shaped all their doctrines, including the Sabbath-keeping. In their view, a relationship with Jesus is something one must have if he will get to heaven. Great, okay, I'm with you there. But to Adventists, that relationship is based on keeping the law. It's not based on what Christ had done. They do not understand that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the new birth... They must prove their relationship by keeping the law, especially the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath. Some SDAs say everyone is born saved, that's universalism, because Jesus' death saved the world. But by persistently refusing to keep the law, they, quote, chose another god, and that is how they become lost. So some biblical texts, Adventist interpretations and historical um, evangelical understanding. So let's get right to it, end time stuff, right? That's what Adventists are are popular for. Let's go to Revelation 14, chapter 14, verse 11. What does it say? And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. How does the Adventist interpret this passage? The beast is the papacy, the Catholic Church. And the image of the beast is the coming international agreement to enforce Sunday worship. Those who accept Sunday worship, the mark of the beast, they receive the mark of his name, will be burned and annihilated. Now, how does orthodox Christianity interpret that passage? Simple. Those who align themselves with the spiritual and political power opposed to Christ and receive its mark, a literal mark, specifics we don't know what it is, will be lost and suffer in eternal hell. It's a choice that they end up making, right? A, a conscious choice to deny Christ and accept the mark of the beast, to buy and sell. Revelation 14.12 This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus, or keep the commandments of God and the faith of Christ in in the King James Version. The Adventists say the saints are those who keep all ten of the commandments, especially the fourth. Those who will be saved are those who keep Sabbath and have the faith of Jesus, which is defined in Revelation 19. So what does historical Christianity say? The saints must endure patiently. The saints are those who obey God's teachings and stay faithful to Christ. So the idea that you have to just keep, keep, keep the Sabbath is prevalent in all of their teachings, especially the eschatology. It comes down to that. Tim, yeah?
1: They think the Catholic Church is the beast. Mm-hmm.
0: The Antichrist, actually. The
1: Antichrist. How, how do they explain Saturday Catholic Mass?
0: That's a really good question.
1: They're keeping the Sabbath.
0: That's a really good question. So the comment um, was from Tim, and, and he said, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out. He brought up the point that if they believe the, pap- the papacy, the, the Catholic Church, is the Antichrist, then how do they explain when Catholics hold Saturday Mass? Because they're saying that Saturday is the, you know, the true Sabbath. And just by the mere fact that you're worshiping on Saturday, you're, you know, you're in, you're in the know. I don't know. I don't know. But that's an issue, right, with a lot of cults, is that distinctive um, contradiction that they have that they don't clear up. And there's tons of contradictions.
1: Then how do they justify the Sunday churches they're trying to plant?
0: <laughs> how do they justify the sneaky Sunday churches that they're trying to plant? Right. Yeah, I would love, I would love to hear that. So Hebrews 8, chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This was the author of Hebrews was what? He was quoting uh, Jeremiah 31 31 here. The Adventist says, the Adventist church has replaced Israel. All God's promises to Israel have been transferred to Adventists because the Jews gave up their right to be God's people by rejecting Jesus. Has anyone ever read Romans? Starting in chapter 7. This is completely contradicted in the book of Romans. The historical interpretation? God promised to make a new covenant with Israel that would be different from the Mosaic covenant God made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. Continuing on Hebrews um, 8, verse 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and write them on their hearts. The Adventists say God will imprint the Ten Commandments onto Christians, specifically Adventists, consciousness. Once they accept Jesus, He will help them to keep the Ten Commandments. The focus here is that everyone who is God's person will keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Evangelical? When a person accepts Christ and is born again, what happens? The Holy Spirit dwells inside that person, right? This living law holds a Christ follower infinitely more responsible than an external written law ever could do. Think of Galatians. The entire book was all about that. The Holy Spirit also convicts people of their need to change and provides the strength for change to happen. Period. It's the Spirit. Matthew 12, um, 6 and 8. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Adventists, the Sabbath is an eternal institution, and Jesus is Lord of it in much the same way The the Queen is Lord of England. Direct quote from them. So what do we end up doing with that? Well, the temple was the center of Israel. It housed the presence of God in the ark containing the law, right? Jesus proclaimed that he was greater than the temple. In other words, he himself housed the presence of God. He was the presence of God. He is God. Further, the law was what? In him, in Christ. When he proclaimed himself Lord of the Sabbath, he was saying that he was greater than the Sabbath. He is the eternal one. And in him, we find the Sabbath rather than finding him in the Sabbath, as Adventists suggest. Let's go to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So why am I giving you guys all these verses? (laughs) Well, quite simply, um, you want to be able to back up what you're saying. If you're going to make such a heavy claim that Seventh-day Adventists are not just error uh, in their doctrine, that they are indeed a cult. So that's why this is important, okay? So Luke 16 verses 19 through 31 says this, Jesus told a parable of a rich man who died and a beggar named Lazarus who died. The rich man went to hell And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, or heaven. The rich man begged Abraham to send Lazarus to him to cool his tongue with water. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So the Adventist interpretation of this, remember they're annihilationists, right? Hell doesn't exist. This story is, quote, just a parable, and it didn't really happen. It says absolutely nothing about the state of man in death. It's just a popular story Jesus used to make a point about selfish rich people having a hard time getting to heaven because of their self-centered greed. That's all it was. That's not it at all. See, Jesus would not use a concept which was false to prove a point which was true. This story says something instructive about the condition of humans after death, or Jesus would not have used it. Period. He doesn't trick people into obedience by using untruth to teach truth. That's not the nature of Christ. The final thing that I want to close on is Adventism, pure and simple, teaches another gospel. It is not the gospel of Christ. Um, See 2 Corinthians 11.4, how we're supposed to respond to those that teach another gospel. They require adherence to the law and discounting Jesus's finished work on the cross. It teaches unbiblical doctrines which obscure anyone's security of salvation and hold people in bondage to fear and to works. Because it's found un- founded on untruth, even its teachings about the nature and person of Christ are distorted and extremely deceptive. Hence the secret Sunday churches that they're even trying to do. So what's the point? Why do we have these classes on um, understanding or dealing with cults? Is it so we can be like, aha, We're right. We're the true church. No, (laughs) right? That's their view, that they're the remnant. The idea is when we have those conversations with these folks, we have the knowledge of why they believe what they believe. And I think therein lies a very effective conversation that you can have. If you know why somebody believes something they believe, You can start to ask those questions that will get at the root and maybe help them to understand why they believe what they believe. If they can find out why they believe it. Have any of you ever disciplined your child, right? And you ask them a very simple question, well, why did you do that? I don't know. Well, you better figure it out so you don't do it again, right? It's the same way. If you can figure out why they believe such an inerrant belief, then you can have real dialogue. And we can have an opportunity to share the true Christ with these folks, with the Mormons that we went over, with the progressive Christians, with Seventh-day Adventists, with Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the important part of learning about this stuff, so we can have that, that interaction and that dialogue with these folks. I'm not saying that everyone who attends a Seventh-day Adventist church is unsaved and doomed to hell. Hear me, that is not at all what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is the Seventh-day Adventist as a whole, as an institution, teaches horrifically anti-Christian doctrines. Of course, I would question if someone was continuing in an SDA church and had knowledge of Scripture and has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, why are you still there? Have any of you ever left a church that was so far off that you just had to leave because you know that they are not teaching the Word of God? I've been there too. It's the same way. Um, So any questions or comments? So yeah, Lucy. Specifically
1: spoke about what their obsession with the end
0: times was like, they're so big about it. And yeah. Why are they doing seminars and graphics all so much? About all the end times. Because it, it just boils down to who is going to get saved because of the investigative judgment. Um, and then it's, <laughs> it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme, right? You you use that to, to bring people in, cause who I mean, who isn't interested in end times? I mean, holy cow, look at the world. You know, turn on Facebook or the news. My gosh, you're gonna see some crazy stuff. And everyone's gonna be interested. Oh my gosh, is Christ coming back? Yeah, I'd like to know. I'd like to be prepared because all of us, even evangelical Christians, we're very much interested in end times. Cause it's 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 relevant. So they just use it as a very, very effective ploy.
1: Well, and it's a scare tactic because they're constantly insecure.
0: Right, and they're constantly insecure.
1: And I think they're one of the wealthiest, aren't they? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Are they, they a wealthy church? Because they are. they are trying to get more members. That's exactly that's- it. I'm like, they need to bring the tithers in somehow. So, so if they convince them that they're not saved, but they have the truth, and... Scare it, scare it into them, you know, the, the truth, and they'll bring in the tithers.
0: So the point was made are they a wealthy church? I mean, do they have, you know, tons of tithers and things going into the church? Well, here's actually the praise report. Um, the exodus from Seventh day Adventism in the past decade or so has been almost twice as much as the entrance into Seventh day Adventism. So they are leaving in droves. A lot of folks are, which which is finding Christ. I don't know about that, Bonnie. Yeah, Yeah, if if they are finding Christ or just leaving an errant church, I don't know. I wish I did. Um, But some of them are right. Like the wonderful lady we met in Montana. Yes, they absolutely are. And I mean, you talk to her. Whoa, boy, she is passionate. (laughs) I mean,
1: she's telling her friends.
0: She's telling her friends. She's telling her family at the risk of what? I mean, you want to talk about persecution? I mean, her her kids. She was
1: brought up in boarding schools. Boarding
0: schools, yeah. College, everything. She was on the board, uh, taught the classes. We went and had dinner with them at at their house, and I left with a grocery (laughs) sack full of books against Seventh-day Adventism that she wanted me to read. I made it through about three of them. So, Jan, if you're listening, I made it through three. I didn't make it through the entire, <laughs> the entire stack so far before this talk, but I will. Um, but it, it is amazing to see God working, though, and, and actually just drawing someone out like that. And he did. He just he ripped her out, plucked her out.
1: I think another point that she brought up to us that's so uh, poignant uh, <laughs> was that Jesus, they make Jesus very weak.
0: Thank you. Yes, they, they do. The, the point is, they make Jesus very small, very weak. So, in Orthodox Christianity, the Christ of the Bible is what? He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's all powerful. So, The idea, especially with this investigative judgment, is Christ has no idea who is to be saved. Christ has no control over who is to be saved. Christ's atoning work really didn't even matter because it's up to their repentance on who is to be saved. The Holy Spirit isn't a person in the Adventist belief. The Holy Spirit is just a a force that you hope, an entity that you hope that you get indwelled with or or something—the the, feel goodness I guess—of of worship. Um, well, can
1: you imagine if that were true? What Jesus thought on the way to the cross? Well, here goes nothing. Literally.
0: I know. I know.
1: Like, I, I I might save people.
0: Yeah, I hope this works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me that they use the talk like us about being saved, but saved, they don't believe in hell. So. Where we? Making?
0: Being saved from. Exactly. And I asked a uh, former Jehovah Witness friend of ours that one night. She's, well, she's saved now, but she still holds on to that tenet of annihilationism, that there is no hell, because she can't accept the fact that an all-loving God is going to send someone to hell for all eternity. I said, again, then what's the point of Christ? What, what are you being saved from? Why do you need Christ? You can do it on your own, apparently, because if hell doesn't exist, who cares? Yeah. Heaven fits in for those that keep the Sabbath. Pure and simple. Eternal heaven is not just a temporary it, correct. Yes. Good question. Yeah, it is an eternal heaven. Hell, however, is temporal. Hell ends, but heaven lasts forever. I mean, rather convenient, right? They don't
1: go. They don't believe they go to heaven when they die. Right?
0: They. Correct. Soul they sleep. They go to
1: sleep.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which, again, completely contradicts all we know about Scripture. To be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. If
1: hell is temporary, what happens to the people that are there when hell is over?
0: They just, they just cease to exist. The, the question was, if hell is temporary, what happens? They just cease. They just end. Oh, They're just okay. uncreated somehow, they I guess. Not. They burn up. Justin, yeah.
1: On the on the
0: Sabbath? I don't know. Um, that would be a question for somebody. That's not in any of their writings that I found. That would be a question for Jan. I should ask her that. Someone that's that's been in the, the SDA church. I don't know.
1: What Bible
0: are they using? They oh, thank you <laughs> for bringing that up. What Bible are they using? Um, yeah, they also have their own interpretation or their own translation of scriptures. Uh, let me pull it up here. Yeah, this one is ripe <laughs> with a lot of, of very odd Can things here. Like? Colin, yes, um, it's called the clear word version of scripture that they use. Um, let me read some, some passages here. I'm gl- thank you so much for bringing that up. I, I almost missed that here. Okay, there were some horrible ones. Remember, honey, I was sharing with you when when I was studying for this? So
1: I have a question. The the title, The Clear Word, isn't that an oxymoron?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The comment from Bonnie was the title, The Clear Word, isn't that an oxymoron considering their religion? Yes, I believe it is. Okay, so here's one of the the most ripe, just holy moly differences. In Matthew, chapter 25, verse 46, I'll quote from the ESV, it says this. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Obviously teaching the doctrine of both. Eternality of heaven and hell, simultaneously, right? What does it say in Matthew 25, 46 on the clear word version for the Adventists? Quote, this is what Jesus is saying. I have no choice but to end your lives because in my kingdom, everyone cares about everyone else. Right? Is that even close to what the scripture actually said? Not by any stretch of any imagination. What about
1: in first John? Um, what if,
0: I don't know which scripture you know, where... Oh yeah, that you may know that you have eternal life. Yeah. Uh they, I don't think they oh here it is. Well no, this is not first John. This is John one. 1 um, which we know in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God, right? We know Jehovah Witnesses in the New World Translation says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was a God. They insert uh, an indefinite article. The Clear Word Version says, from the beginning, the Word of God was there. The Word stood by the side of God, and the Word was fully God. The original edition actually reads, in the beginning, going further back in time than can be imagined, the Word of God was there. The Word stood by the side of God, and the Word was fully God. So, I mean, they just gently ex- right? Gently tweaking it. This is a pretty bad one. John 8, 58. See, meaning because they're saying that Jesus is Michael the archangel, right? Denying the, the, the full deity of Christ. John eight fifty eight says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, right? The most holy name of God. Everyone knew what he was saying. The Pharisees sure knew it. Why? Because they tore their clothes and they went after Jesus right after he said it. Was it saying the clear word version? Jesus answered, because I existed before Abraham was born. Nope, not what he was saying. Not what he was saying at all. He wasn't talking about a timeline. He was talking about a position, right? Look up Hebrews 1,
1: 5. five, five. Hebrews 1, John, I'm saying. Okay. 1 John 5, 12 and 13.
0: Uh, let's see here. If they have. 11, start with
1: 11, 12 and 13.
0: Okay. Let's see if they have it online where I can actually look it up here. Is it not there? And I'm just trying to find where I can look it up. I can't, you just, you have to buy it. Their Bible's not yeah, online? Yeah, their Bible's not online. Because that
1: one says every witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Amen the son has the life he who does not have the son does not have the life these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life
0: all right yes yes we know that we have eternal life um you know in John 10:30 in the ESV I the and the father are one In the ESV, uh, John 1030, I and the Father are one in the clear word version. You see, my father and I are so close, we're one. <laughs> Tim, we're pretty good buddies, right? Are we one? <laughs> right? <laughs> but according to their their translation, that's exactly what meaning that they're they're putting into scripture there. <laughs> 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 right, right, right. <laughs> yes! <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> he didn't have one
0: <laughs> so, I mean, is Seventh-day Adventism a cult? Yes, yes. absolutely. They have their own version of the, of the scriptures, which has been reinterpreted Um, retranslated rather to just not even close to the meaning of it Uh, it contains the errors in their theology Um, they have tenets that deny the deity of Christ Uh, they're focused on works for themselves in order to be saved and they have no assurance of of salvation and and it's an absolute travesty to folks that are caught up in that so let's close I think I've been yakking for over an hour here So let's close with a word of prayer. And if um, anyone has questions, let me know, okay? Father, God, we just, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Like always, every week, Lord, I ask that you would give us those opportunities that we would be able to have these conversations with those that are lost and fallen. God, that it would be your will to put those people in our path and that uh, we're humbled that we have the opportunity to engage them by your grace. And please save them, Lord.